Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert. And my definite purpose in life is to encourage people to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of life. You can find out more about me and this uh, radio show at the show's website, which is simply journeytosuccessradio.com. My co-host today is the amazing Jim Shorty. Jim, uh, introduce yourself, please. Thank you. Uh, this is Jim Shorty, and I am a veteran of the automobile business. 35 years, I've since turned the business over to my children, so they run that business 100% independent of me. And I've launched a new company called Results from Thinking. And my mission with this new company is to help individuals identify and achieve on a step-by-step basis their worthwhile goals and that's something I'm really really passionate about I've got a proven formula for successful living and I'm sharing that with as many people as I possibly can and having incredible results so thank you for having me today Tom I really do appreciate it amen and our guest today you guys I'm probably just gonna get to sit back because we've got two car guys on the line Chris Patton is the president and CEO of the Mike Patton Auto Family in LaGrange, Georgia, which is a three dealership group with roughly 100 employees representing Honda, Ford, Lincoln, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram franchises. And along with his younger brother and his partner Brian, uh, both in the same, he is a third generation owner and grew up working in every department in the business beginning at the age of 10. He also writes a blog. Uh, christianfaithatwork.com is that uh, website to business owners and leaders who are working to integrate their Christian faith into their businesses and this blog has led to multiple articles being published published in 210 Magazine as well as various speaking and teaching engagements including multiple Skype sessions with audiences and pastors in northern India he and his wife, Kim, live in LaGrange, Georgia with their three teenage children. And I was introduced to Chris by the amazing Phil Taylor, who is the creator of the 17 Biblical Principles of Success audio program that Chris is also featured on. Welcome to the show today, Chris. Tom, thank you so much. I'm thoroughly glad to be here. Now, uh, uh, I'm going to start the questioning, but Jim's probably going to take over because two car guys here, so you have a lot in uh, common Uh, but in your bio and what I've read about you is that you almost walked away from your family business and uh, that must have been a tough time in your life and why would you have thought that and and what happened to you to to cause you to think about walking away from uh, your great family business? Tom, I guess um, I'm the beneficiary of another father like Jim, who has been gracious enough to allow his kids. I'm the oldest of three, but uh, dad allowed us to grow up in the business. He had us working since we were about 10 years old. 
I think I started a little bit earlier than the other two. He got easier and easier as the, as the kid. <laughs> but um, I always knew that that's what I wanted to do as a career. I loved watching my dad in the business. I loved working in it. And I started out painting curbs, picking weeds, cutting grass, washing cars, that kind of thing. But by the time I had graduated college, came back and worked in it full time, um, and everything went like I planned it to for the first seven years or so. I was running two of the dealerships. Uh, actually, in LaGrange at the time, we had six others in various markets just around our, our town. And I was making good money. I felt like things were going well. And then God intervened. And through a series of events that we don't have time for me to go into all of that, but series of events, he made me realize that I was just giving him one day a week. And frankly, not even the whole day. I was giving him Sunday mornings. I was spending time with my family on Sunday afternoons. And Monday to Saturday, bell to bell, I was focused on profit. And that was my whole mindset. And as I began digging deeper into the Bible, uh, I realized that God wanted all seven days. He wanted me to love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I wasn't doing that. He was a compartment in my life, but he didn't have my whole life. So when I, I realized that and I looked at how completely out of balance my life was, I just assumed I had a, a it was a bad thought, but I had the thought that I've got to leave the business so I can do more of God's work during the week. Because as, as Jim knows, this car business is all consuming. And I felt like it was either I stay in the business or I get completely out. I didn't see a middle ground. So I actually went to my dad and, uh, as the oldest son, I knew he was grooming me to take over. And I said, I'm leaving. And we had a very tough conversation. He was unbelievably supportive, but certainly taken aback and didn't know what to think. And, and I told him I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I would do next. I just knew in the next year or so I needed him to replace me so I could be free to go do something else that would give me more time to live out my faith. And uh, I guess over the next 18 months or so, I prayed about it. I studied trying to figure out what God wanted me to do, where he's leading me. And another series of events came along and it, it, God just used a two by four upside my head and showed me he had placed me in our family business for a purpose, put me at the head of it uh, and wanted me to be the steward over that business. And from that point, I realized I was just supposed to do all the things I had in mind to do for him ministry wise, but do them through the business and run the business in a way that would honor him. So I'd ended up coming back to my dad saying, hey, if you'll, I haven't left yet, you're trying to replace me. I said, if you'll still have me on, here's what I'd like to do. And, and again, he was gracious and said, I support it. Wow. Wow. Must have been, you should have had a picture of his face when you told him. I bet you that was a big shocker. <laughs> it was. And uh, he's, yeah, he, that he took it well it must have been a, a relief for you. It was, and I can't give him enough credit. I can't imagine if the if I were in his shoes and my son were was going through this and talking through this, I'm not sure I would have responded as well. <laughs> amen, amen. Jim, have you ever gotten to that point where you were like, I'm tired of the car business, Dad. I'm out of here. Well, you know, I don't think I ever got tired of the car business. I got extremely frustrated with the car business. And so, you know, if you measure your, your days based on the frustration, well, obviously that's a very slippery slope. So I seem to always be, a, be able to recover from the day or, or a couple of days, even way back when. My dad was a, my dad was a very, very uh, difficult guy in terms of he, was, he ran the dealership from a dictator perspective. 
and it was just his way was always his way, and that's just the way it was. And um, so, you know, that was that portion of it, and and that was, uh, you know, I started in the business, and I graduated from college in 1978, December of 78, so I I started in the business in January of 79. And like Chris, I always wanted to be involved in the car with my dream job. And so, you know, I did that from, from 1979 forward. Previous to that, uh, very similar to Chris's story, I was a I was a janitor, I was a car washer, I was a, a, a parts department deliverer of parts guy. I was a uh, I worked on the service lane as a service advisor, and and then I went into sales when I after I graduated from college. So I worked in the car business from 1979 until 1996, and I had progressed to where I was the general sales manager of the dealership. It was only one dealership. 40 employees, one dealership selling about 1,000 cars a year. But my dad never was willing to release the reins. He, he kept a very hard grip on that. So mm-hmm. what happened was my dad dropped dead literally on March 24th, 1996. He, um, my mother found him, and he just he died very, very suddenly, and that left me the heir apparent. And I often say if I knew half as much as I thought I knew when my dad died, I would have been really, really, really smart. Yep. I proceeded to run the business uh, my way. I didn't want any advice. I didn't want any help. I didn't want anybody's assistance. And I ran the business with really, really bad strategies to the point of two years later, I was uh, uh, bankruptcy imminent and um, and really going down. But I never lost that drive to figure it out. And so long story short, I did. Uh, that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> Did I ever think about leaving the car business? Uh, of course I did, but it was a very, you know, fleeting thing. It was like, oh, get up the next morning and, you know, put the gloves on and go, go, go to, go back to the fight, you know. So that's uh, what it seemed like. Now, now, Chris, uh, I worked in the car business first in sales. Uh, now, a guy with rheumatoid arthritis, five foot one, four hips, four knees, two shoulders replaced. I never conceived of the physical part of selling a car. For instance, I can't get into most vans or SUVs, uh, and it's embarrassing to ask your customer to lift you into the vehicle. Uh, if it doesn't have power seats, I can't reach far enough forward to pull a seat forward. So again, got to ask the customer for help. The first car I sold when I was demonstrating it, I fell on the ice and I can't get up when I fall down. So this uh, Japanese woman, no taller than me, not much, probably doesn't weigh more than me, had to help me up off the ground. And so I was like, okay, this is not the right business for me. But I remember, I'll never forget, I was sitting in a meeting with the general manager and all the salespeople. And the general manager was giving us three lies as reasons for why we were having the sale that weekend, Friday and Saturday. Lies! Uh, the Honda, there's a, someone from Honda on site uh, to authorize bigger savings. Uh, Honda gave us approval to lower our rates. And forget what, they were all just lies. And I was thinking here, the general manager of this dealership is teaching us three lies to say about this sale. And so when you talk about running an auto dealership as a Christian business, my head is spinning. (laughs) And so how do you do that? Because I forget the statistics, but I think it's 93% of people coming into a dealership distrust you. It's even, I think it's the same level as politicians. And so to run it as a Christian business, boy, that must be different. It's different. And let me clarify 
or anybody listening what I'm talking about when I say that. So Jim will know this. And and first and foremost, there are good dealers and there are bad dealers. And I don't mean good as in operationally, but in morally. So there are morally good dealers who run a clean business, who do, do not lie to customers and do things the way they would want it to be done to them. And yep. that's a good business person. And there are actually car dealers like that. I think the bad ones give the good ones a bad name, obviously, and we're all lumped in together. But what I'm really talking about is past that. And it is a business, for me, a Christian business is a business that has a God-focused eternal mission. So for me, when I recognize that God wanted my seven days, he didn't just want one day, and he, actually he owned the business, it was his, just mine to steward for a while, um, then I realized I needed to run it the way he would want it run with a with a picture of the eternity in mind as my end goal, not a 30 or 60 or 90 day financial statement. So that's the, the short answer is just a business that says, you know what, I'm about the thousand year picture, not the 30 day picture. So that changes your decisions. It changes your your sales strategy and that kind of thing. So how we did that, um, gosh, there's probably 500 different things that we're doing to try and achieve that. Uh, you know, the first step I'll tell you was going to a one price selling system. Um, not because we believe negotiating dealers are going to hell or, or they're just bad, <laughs> but because I felt like to get a single system where equal weights and measures were applied to each customer, regardless of race or uh, gender or age or intelligence, pricing is the same based on the products, supply and demand and market condition, not based on the customer's ability to pay. So that was one of the major changes we made right off the bat. Um, you know, we've got a chaplain that comes through twice a week, spends a couple of days in the store, is available 24-7 to our employees just as a counselor or someone to talk to. He performs weddings and funerals, just that kind of thing. Um, you know, we do a lot of different little things, Tom, within the business to try to uh, spread God's word and to make sure that um, we are representing him well. But the big picture is we're trying to look down the road. What do we want this business to look like? Or what do we want eternity to look like because of the way we ran the business, if that makes sense? Right. Now, I know from numerous interviews I've done with uh, Jim, and probably you have to do this as well. Well, you have to. Jesus commanded it. Love. Love was his biggest word, his biggest mission, his biggest thing he wanted people to do. And the number one value at Jim's uh, seven dealerships is love and I've been in a dealership and it's not easy to love some of those customers and prospects and uh, so how did you implement that because not everybody has that in their heart you probably against the law I know in Canada you can't just hire Christians so I had to not just hire Christians so how do you implement that love your customer your prospect even when they're not lovable? Well, I think Jim has the answer there in core values, uh, one of them being love. We did not include love in our core values, but the idea, we started off right off the bat, you have to, to instill a culture in the business. And it's not for us as a Christian business, it's not about hiring Christians. Um, that's not something we're looking for. 
what we're looking for is good people that have a bent toward wanting to serve people. So whether they're in a sales or service advisor position or whatever, we want people that actually like other people (laughs) because there are some that don't. Um, We want people that um, just have a natural tendency to want to serve others or help others. So that's, that's part one is trying to hire people to help build that culture, but also it has to start from the top down. So uh, my brother and I sat down, even though my, our dad had run a business that was very principled, very moral uh, for the 30 or so years um, he had done it until we took over, but we wanted to go a little bit further. So we went, our mission statement is that the Mike Patton auto family seeks to honor God by impacting the lives of our employees, customers, and community. And we, repeat that constantly in various different ways, not just the the mission statement itself, but the idea and the culture around that idea Um, through devotions that I give once a month, through newsletter articles that I write, through sales meetings. And just, you know, when, when things come up on the showroom floor, like you mentioned, Tom, where the general sales manager was making up lies as reasons for a sale, um, when things pop up on the showroom and we have a customer come in that complains about something and a salesperson or somebody said something, maybe it wasn't an outright lie. It was just, just gray area. Right. We call it out in front, not to, not to beat up the salesperson, but we discuss it in a meeting and we say, you know, these are the kind of areas that we want to stay away from. We want to make sure that we are black and white and we are taking care of that customer. Um, so I guess the short answer is it's about culture. It's not once and done. You can't just throw out the culture and say, here's what we're about and then expect everybody to follow it. You've got to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it until you're sick of it. And I think you're probably halfway done at that point. (laughs) And I will tell you, Chris, that um, to be very clear, in my experience, a vast majority of automobile dealers are very, very principled and very, very honest. The vast majority. I mean, it's, it's probably in that in my guess would be 75% range. They really are. And I mean, I've, I've been involved with car dealers my whole life. There are uh, jerks in life of the, uh, there are jerks in the automobile business life, just like there are in other aspects of life. And uh, yeah, they are what they are. But I, I, I really like this idea that uh, if I am a liar, I get to travel with a liar. And, uh, I don't know about you, but I never. I would not want to go on a trip with a liar. I wouldn't want to. I mean, like, gee whiz, I'm tired of this girl or guy. They, all they do is lie. They're liars. I don't want to be around them. They right. They're disappointing. So when you're a liar, guess what? You're traveling with a liar. And when you're a thief, you're traveling with a thief. And when you're a cheat, you're traveling with a cheat. And so I just don't want to travel with a, a liar. I don't want to travel with a thief. And I don't want to travel with a cheat. I just don't. So that's we run our business from that perspective. Yeah, I like it. Wow. Amazing. Now, uh, obviously, when you run a Christian business, Chris, you're going to face some uh, challenges. Uh, What are some of those challenges you've faced and how do you overcome those? Well, first, right out of the gate, Tom, my first challenge was a personal one. I actually thought that after God had kind of put me on this track and he had shown me what, what I was to do and and I was going to come out and, and really start changing our business. Not, like I said, not from an immoral, unprincipled way of running it like my dad. I mean, his was 
he did it right. But I really thought the one price system and the mindset behind everything that everybody would rise up and embrace it. (laughs) (laughs) I was wrong. Uh, Not based on the principle of it. They didn't. So initially I thought, like I said, people would embrace it. I thought people from church would love what we were doing and would jump, you know, just come running and, and support us in the business. And what I found out is, and and it's not wrong, it's just the way things are, they're going to support it if your business model and your execution are excellent. And if you provide a greater value than the dealer or competitor down the road. And I I actually thought I would gain business for being good, as in a good person and we're doing a good, whereas a, a good business, rather than running an excellent business and being a, a, a shining example um, of a greater value provided to the customer. So hmm. the challenge was initially for me to get over myself and realize I've got to provide a value, whether we're on Christian principles or not, customers are going to come where they find the best value, or the best experience. Chick-fil-A, phenomenal business. People support them tremendously. But if their model stunk and if their service was terrible, nobody would care about the rest of it. They just, as as a majority, they would not support it like they do today. So that's the first challenge was figuring out how to do what we're supposed to be doing in an excellent way. And even though we are running it on principles and we are trying to do the right thing, knowing that the customers are looking more for the value and and the experience. Um, that was a biggie. The, the second biggie that comes to mind is, I alluded to it earlier, is traditional business culture. Um, Jim, it, it, being around car dealers all your life, you've, you've seen this as well. We are taught it's a 30-day financial statement or it's a quarterly set of results. And that, that's where your eyes need to be focused. And the really wise and, and uh, more intelligent dealers are looking at a year, two, or five, maybe even 10 years to strategize and to go from that mindset and attempt to look at, because I still don't even have this completely figured out, but attempt to look at an eternal picture. That's a, that's a very difficult juggling act because the day to day is right in front of you. And it's a challenge to keep the bigger picture. What I believe is God's view of the business. It's a challenge for me to keep that in mind and keep making decisions based on that rather than, what do I need to do for this 30-day picture? Mm, wow, powerful. And Jim, uh, you can address that uh, one uh, one, uh, st- one price. I love that one price. It must save time for customers. It must save a lot of stress. And, you know, if uh, my mother-in-law drives, she's 91. If she's negotiating for a car, she's not nearly as good at negotiating as I am. Yeah. And uh, Jim, you can also probably talk about, you know, long-range vision as opposed to, what's happening in the next 30 days. And I think for any business, the longer you can look at the perspective of your business, the better off your business is. Well, it's called working on your business versus working in your business. And you want your people to be working in your business. And that's the 30 day, the 90 day window. And you really do. You want them focused on that part of it. But as the dealer, as the entrepreneur, you're the one that's, uh, you're, you're the one that's, setting the map. You're the one that's setting the navigation. And uh, so I think you have to have both. I think you have to have a long-term vision and uh, that's vitally important. But if you have your 
service manager occupying his brain with uh, creating a long-term vision, I think that uh, that can be a very slippery slope. We want him working. We want him to deliver the vision that we're creating as uh, as owners. You know, so yeah, you absolutely have to be working on your business strategically uh, for the long term. So that's a, that's very important. Very important, no doubt. And not easy to do. Actually, it is easy to do. It really is. Uh, you know, um, when you're looking at, well, again, back to that health, wealth, health, wealth, love, happiness, and spirit, it's actually more difficult not to do these things than it is to do them. As a matter of fact, my contention, and Napoleon Hill backs me up on this, is it's way more difficult to live your life unsuccessfully than it is to live your life successfully. If you think about it, living your life unsuccessfully has severe consequences. And you have to face those consequences. And that's not fun. Living your life successfully has, has great results. And you get to enjoy the fruits of those results. And that's fun. That's a lot of fun. The problem is, is there's, there's actually three problems with living your life successfully. Number one, it requires great self-discipline. Number two, it's work. You know, this is not a, there's no free lunch. This is not an entitlement program. This is not a, a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, you, it's work, and so you have to earn the riches. And, and really what it comes down to is here's the part that people really get messed up on when it comes to riches. It's describing exactly what riches mean to them. And so when, you, when I talk about riches, automatically that, the, the, the brain goes to the bank account. And that's not riches. It is a portion of it, but I look at it from the point of view of, of health. health. I can be extremely healthy, and I'm rich. I can be extremely wealthy and I'm rich. I can be I can have great love in my life and I'm rich. I can have great happiness and I'm rich. I can have great spirit and I'm rich. Uh, but if I have just one of those out of the five, then I'm poor. I've got to have all five or at least four out of five. And that's what I that's how I look at it. So it's actually easier to be successful than it is to be unsuccessful, but it takes self discipline. Self discipline, self mastery, self control. And that's the challenge is uh, actually executing that. But right. I'm a master right. at that, Tom. I'm a master at that. <laughs> Excellent. Now, uh, Chris, uh, uh, you lead this auto group, but what would you say your job description is and, and how do you execute on on your job description or your role in the, the business that you and your family have? Well, I go back to the time point when I'm trying to figure out what a Christian business, in quotes, looks like. How does God want me to run this business from an eternal perspective? Um, you know, what does that look like day to day? Because like Jim said, you know, the, there's a need for someone operating in the business. And then there's a need for somebody operating or working on the business. I didn't know either way. What is this going to look like from an eternal perspective? And and I was reading, there was a, a passage in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul was describing Judgment Day, basically. And he said, you know, our work is going to be tested by fire. And if what we have built in our lives on top of the foundation of Christ, if what we have built survives that fire, then we get reward. And if it burns up, we survive, but just barely. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that. And I picture we've got about 19 acres here with our, uh, we got four buildings on 19 acres and I picture on a typical Saturday, you know, there are balloons and cars and people everywhere, kind of a circus atmosphere for a dealership. And, and then I pictured that same scene after being tested by God's fire. 
what would what out of that scene would have survived? Well, there was nothing. The buildings are gone. The cars are gone. Even the steel racks we put the cars on. God's fire took everything. All that was left in my picture was 19 acres of scorched earth. But then as I look closer in that picture in my head, I see something else. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of silhouettes that were dotting that 19 acres. And I realized that these silhouettes represented the souls of the people that were impacted for eternity by the way we run our business. And so in that picture, I began to understand or immediately understood that my new job description at that point was two words, add silhouettes. So say that again, Chris. My new my job description was two words, add silhouettes. Add silhouettes, wonderful. So the idea being that yes, in the day-to-day business and even in this in the three and five year vision casting, I've got to run a business. And it's a it's a business that has to have exceptional processes and all that goes into a business success. But from the eternal perspective, I needed to do it in a way that would impact people in a positive way, point them toward God. And whether I'm actually leading to somebody to salvation on the showroom floor or not, which is not something typical for us, or if I'm just representing him well, doing things in the community to point people toward him that eventually later somebody else reaps that harvest and somebody else um, teaches them what the, the final steps. I'm impacting people for eternity because of the way we run that business. And so I'll, my job every day is to come in and figure out ways to add more silhouettes. Mm, more people that you're impacting. Amen. Now, uh, I, when I was listening to the 17 Biblical Principles of Success by uh, Phil Taylor that you were on, website's the same, 17biblicalprinciplesofsuccess.org, you were talking about uh, once you implemented that one price strategy, there was a time when you had, uh, I think you referred to them as a difficult, one of those difficult customers. Yes. And it was a matter of a $30. They said, if you'll put $30 of gas in my car on top of this one price, one price included everything that you figured, even including the gas, if you put that $30 extra gas in, I'll buy the car. And you... Caved. Went for it. You caved. And then the next day you were... Just beside yourself. That's right. So basically, I got called in on a tough customer. It was early in that one price transition. My upbringing, my all, all my training was around negotiating and putting the deal together and closing the deal. And Tom, you described it perfectly. They pushed. They said, you know, if you'll just push, put gas in our car. They had driven from an hour away and. And before I realized the words were coming out of my mouth, I had said, done, y'all go ahead and put the gas in the car. And I walked into my office and then I collapsed in my desk and I was, could not believe I had just, I had worked so hard to be black and white in that and I had caved. So the end of that is I went around to, it was actually the next day that I had my weekly or my monthly devotion at every department. And so I went to every department in the store and I told them what had happened. And I told them how I had blown it. And I told them, number one, I'm not perfect. I'm going to blow it again. But number two, I said, our first core value is integrity. 
And if I'm going to expect you guys to live and operate in this business with integrity, I've got to have it as well. And in this situation, I didn't. I'm trying to rectify that by number, number one, coming in front of you and apologizing and asking you to forgive me for that, but also to make sure that we keep this up and above board. And, and when I screw up, I'm going to tell you about it and you can call me on it. But we've got to have a very clear picture of what is acceptable and what's not. And I said, what you saw me do last night is not acceptable. And yet it must be such a challenge. Like customers are programmed to negotiate, even if it's one price, I'm sure. That's right. Everybody tries to negotiate. Jim, do you do one pricing in your dealerships? We do. Yes, we've been we've been doing that for years. And, and people uh, still try and negotiate? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's... Uh... You know, it's a, it's, it's a challenge to do that. And so, you know, my, my, like Chris, you know, sometimes the guys that came in the most of the guys that are running the deal, running the program, but, um, you know, I, I just think, you, you know, I, I would view it similar to being on a diet, you know, so your goal, you're on this diet, and it's going to be strictly vegetables from now to the end of eternity and your vegetables, vegetables, and then all of a sudden, Ben and Jerry's ice cream shows up across your nose, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, have this ice cream, even though this is against the diet that I've created. And so the answer is not that you had the Ben and Jerry's. I mean, you know, the answer is getting back on the program. And, and so we're always fighting to get back on the program. And I'm a very big believer in diet and exercise and positive thinking. Does that mean that my diet is perfect? Of course it doesn't. Does that mean my exercise program is perfect? Of course it doesn't. And, of course, my thinking sometimes turns negative. But the difference is I'm going to get back on my program. And so I'm always fighting that battle. And I think that uh, sometimes we're too hard on ourselves regarding that. But um, So, yeah, I don't know. I uh, just think that uh, it's very, very important that we are fair with our customers. Really important. But it's also important that we're fair with ourselves. And sometimes we're the most difficult on ourselves. And so... Uh, that's my. That's just my opinion, you know, for whatever that's worth. Right, right. Now, one thing I would think from what I saw, Chris, well, the car business takes up a lot of hours. In Canada, they're closed on Sundays. That's the only day they're closed in Canada. And, you know, early in the morning till late at night. How do you develop the discipline to look after all areas of your life? Mostly, I'm thinking of family here, your wife and kids. Uh, when you run a dealership, you're probably getting emails all the time, texts all the time, and it's probably often difficult to get away, to get that good quality time with your wife and kids and family. That's true. That's true, Tom. But I'll tell you this, and, and for many years, um, I didn't do anything about that. I just... I gave into the business. I was here bell to bell. I felt like as the dealer, I needed to be first in, last out, turn on the lights, lock the doors when we leave. And uh, over time, I've come to realize that if I'm a disaster personally, physically, mentally, health-wise, emotionally, I'm no good to anybody. And I I just changed and I started um, putting boundaries up. So I've taken email off my phone. So when I leave the dealership, I don't have email until I get back there the next day. 
Um, I do not allow the business to consume me like I did in the past. Not perfect at it, but, uh, you know, until this year, or excuse me, until last year, in fact, I had never taken a full one-week vacation with my family. I'd usually send them ahead to the beach, and I'd catch up to them a couple days later and make it through the weekend and come back together. But last year, I took two straight weeks of vacation. I did it again this year. The best thing I could have ever done. Wow. So I think it comes back to boundaries and you, you determine I'm going to design my schedule because if I don't, everybody else will do it for me. And once I do that and I try to do the exact same thing with our people, you know, we, we are always closed on Sunday. We also give them a day off during the week. Um, so they're working five days. We expect a lot of effort and, and uh, good results during the five days they're here we want them taking their day off. We want them being refreshed, staying married, having a life outside of here so that one, because we think that's the best way to impact them eternally, but two, they're better at business when they're fresh. Agreed. Agreed. Jim, you probably face that same thing yourself. Well, yeah. And uh, I can't speak for Chris, but I can tell you that I did a terrible job at it. You know, back in 1998 on bankruptcy imminent, and um, really, really bad financial condition, bad financial situation. And so my, one of the things I did was I, 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 I outworked everybody. If I had to work 26 out of 24 hours, that's what I was going to do. So I was not going to, gonna, gonna lose. And so, and then that became, that became, it started off with desperation. I, I didn't want to be bankrupt, right? And I never did declare bankruptcy before. It was very bad. So it started off with desperation. And then it started, then it moved from there to fear where I just didn't want to go back to where I was. And I knew I could outwork anybody, so I just kept outworking, right? And so it went from, uh, it went from fear to um, where I, I knew I was making a lot of money and doing great things, and so I, I liked that as well, and I just didn't want to get away from that. And so I lived a very, very unbalanced life. Uh, uh, my, you know, my health suffered. Uh, my, my family life wasn't what it could have been. Uh, my my happiness level, my spirit level, all these things suffered. And so um, I had to fix that. And I did um, probably, so I'm 59, probably around 50, you know, and I'm studying and I'm reading and I'm learning. It's like, I got I to gotta fix this. And I did. And I started taking a day off. And, and I always took a vacation, but I started taking more vacations. And, and, I, I, fixed, and I figured out that the business, the business really did run without me being there. And, and I started demanding that people do their jobs. And so... Yeah, I mean today, I mean I, uh, I, I, I don't recommend my kids do what I did. I can tell you that it's like that's not the way to live. I, I, I want to live my life with balance, health, wealth, love, happiness, and spirit. And so, um, you're on, you're on the. How old are you, Chris? Forty-five. Oh wow, well good. So you're 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 ahead of, you're ahead of me. You know, and the thing is, you did the right thing before, uh, because that's what you had to do. You did what you did, and that's what you had to do. And so now here you are. You have this uh, epiphany per se, and you're making changes and, and, and good for you. You know, the, both things needed to happen, but here you are now, you've got, you're way ahead of me. So good for you, man. Amen. Amen. Now, Chris, I don't know if you've ever read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, but he talks about having a mastermind group. And he says the most important member of your mastermind group needs to be, or should be, your spouse. And I know you've been married to your wife, Kim, for over 20 years. Uh, you've been a workaholic probably for 20 years and three children, which is makes me tired just thinking of. 
And so talk about that amazing mastermind partnership you have with your wife because uh, it can't have been easy to uh, be married to someone who's involved in the dealership business. That's true. Um, fortunately for me, uh, one of the things that impacted me in a huge way when I was in actually senior in high school, my parents divorced. And while that's obviously not a positive, um, I learned from that divorce, my, it, it was both their fault, obviously, both grew apart. But for my dad's side, it was about being too involved in work. And I watched that model. I watched what he did. And I learned from that point forward, I determined in my heart, number one, I'm not going to be married to the job. And number two, in conversations with him and learning from him, I determined I was going to work just as hard at that marriage as I did at my job. And I found out after 20 plus years that working hard at a marriage is a lifetime deal. It's not, hey, get that first 10 years in and then you coast. It is difficult. Um, but I've got a wife that is, first of all, is tremendously understanding. She did marry me after I was in the business. So she knew going in at least somewhat that that's what I was going to be like. But um, sure, it was probably five, six years ago that I started changing my schedule, changing my calendar, my my uh, health and so forth. And in a conversation with her, I kind of shed some of the light on what I was realizing. And she looked at me with a duh look. <laughs> Why is it taking you so long to get this? I've known it for years. But uh, she's been patient with me. And, and um, you know, in, in, in this last two years, I've got I was about to say this one other thing earlier um, because of the amount of time in the car business and the, the time taken away from family. I have one son that's 19, but I have twin girls that are 17. And so I had to make them in multiples because I didn't have time to do them individually. But in about two years ago or a year ago, we bought a camper, a pull behind tra travel trailer. Oh, I love those. And, uh, we have spent, I don't know, six or eight weekends together. And then our last two week vacation this summer was in the camper. And my wife and I have found a new hobby for when next year our girls go off to college, we'll have all three out of the house and we've got some things we want to do in that camper and places we want to go. So um, we've got a great relationship now. And, and she's, like I said, been patient with me enough to get me to this point. Amen. It sounds like you're going to have some more babies. No, sir. I knew somebody's mind would go there. <laughs> I'm a car dealer. What do you want me to do, man? <laughs> no, sir. We're done. <laughs> now, uh, Chris, you're still young, 45. Both uh, Jim and I got you beat. I'm 53. And, well, Jim, he's really old. I think he's up there. <laughs> really 59, old, 60. So looking three to five years down the road, uh, what can you see yourself doing at, at that point later down the road while you're still young? Good question. Tom, I don't know exactly is the first part of the answer. Um, I've seen over the last five years, I've been writing this blog, which started out as a hobby. One of the things she told me five years ago was you need a hobby. You need something to do that's not just business uh, <laughs> to kind of 
relieve some stress and get an outlet for what my, my thoughts were and so forth. So I started the blog and it's really been surprising to me, almost shocking in some of the results. And I've gotten a chance to, uh, work with some other business people. I've been able to, to write a good bit, which I never saw myself doing. So when I look out three to five years, that's got to be part of the picture. And I don't know really what that means, but I've been experimenting this year. I've, I've put a, on this blog, I've put a speaking page up there. I've put a coaching page and I've had some takers on that. So I've been able to experiment with that. Um, I've done a small mastermind group that I'm leading myself as, as well as being a part of another one. And, um, and then finally, uh, working on a book right now. So that um, could lead to other possibilities. I don't know. I guess when I go back to my job description of adding silhouettes, I look three to five years in the future. It may be around multiplying silhouettes. In other words, teaching some other business owners, you know, trying to go back 10, 15 years younger than me and get some guys that are just coming into it and just figuring it out and teach them some of what we're doing, what we've learned. and help them to add silhouettes as well. And in doing that, I'm multiplying. Mm, I like it. It sounds like you're going down the path that uh, Jim's going down, but uh, perhaps at a younger age. Yep, I agree. Yep. So it's, it's kind of the, you know, the, not kind of it is the, you know, teach a man, or I'm sorry, give a man a fish each for a day, teach him how to fish each for a lifetime. Right. And uh, there's great joy in that. That's, that's my happiness my happiness quotient is fulfillment and fulfillment is doing something that's way, way bigger than you, which brings you great joy. And that's, uh, that's a really neat thing to be able to say that you did that. And that's the part that once the, you uh, stand on that scorched earth and there's nothing left, uh, but the scorched earth, it's your legacy that uh, survives. Your legacy survives. And, uh, you know, if you're a liar, if you're a thief, if you're a cheat, well, that's what's going to be standing there. And that's if you're right. a principled person like you are, Chris, that's what's going to be standing there. And that's the part that that is the eternal part that that never goes away. You know, uh, you know, Andrew Carnegie. You know, we're still talking about this guy today, and his legacy is not a good one. Really, it's not. It's not a good one. And uh, yeah, sure, he gave away a lot of money, a lot of libraries, and a lot of stuff. But uh, his legacy is really not that great. Uh, Adolf Hitler's legacy is obviously really, really bad, really awful. And we're still talking about him today. That's his legacy. That's the, part, that's the eternal part. He was a bad person. So you don't want to be a bad person. You can be a great person. And that's what you're doing. And that's your, that's your eternity. Right. And then the people you're touching, Chris, with what you're doing and going to continue to do and do more of, once you touch someone with a message, you impact not just them, you impact their family and other people and their friends. And so the eternal impact you have with your writing and your speaking and uh, your ministry uh, is going to impact people that you will never, ever meet. It will change lives. Selling a car is a good thing. Selling a car and doing great at that business is a great, great business and great thing for you as a Christian to do, but when you touch souls and minds and thinking and lives, man, you'll be walking around smiling so wide you could eat a banana sideways. <laughs> I hope so, Tom. I think that's uh, maybe where God has you going, and at the same time, you still run the the, the business. 
Has your son uh, indicated any interest in it, uh, or uh, has yet. he started? Not yet. Okay. And, and don't know that he will. Um, at this point, he's more interested in computers and phone apps and that kind of thing. But we'll see. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, uh, we should have said your blog more often. Christian faith at work.com christian faith at work.com and again of course please 17 biblical principles of success.org buy that audio program it's amazing there's just incredible people on that program that are really giving you a a viewpoint on principles of success uh, according to the bible and according to jesus so uh, go to those two websites uh, thank you so much uh, for being with us, uh, Chris. Uh, pretty exciting to see a Christian running a car business. Uh, uh, amazing. It must be different to shop there and different to deal there. And uh, I'm so happy for you. Good, good for you. Thank you, Tom. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, Jim and Chris. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtutall.com for details.